Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. Join us now as Pastor Keith Moore shares today's message. Today and this week, uh, we are going to see how the gospel strengthens and uh, transforms for the better our relationships, our friend, friendships, our marriages, families, relationship with neighbors and work associates and classmates and acquaintances in the community, uh, people we don't know that we just spontaneously in, encounter uh, in, in our community. Uh, J.B. Collingsworth, one of our pastors, and I had the, the very same favorite teacher in uh, seminary. Dr. Oscar Thompson was his name, magnificent guy. He died young uh, with cancer while he, I, we were still his student. Uh, but I, can, I don't remember a single day uh, in any one of his classes that I took that he did not open the class with this statement. It's going to be on the screen. The most important word in the English language is relationships. Now, he would typically say the most important word in the English language outside of proper nouns, you know, someone's name, is relationships. Uh, relationships with God, with our friends, our spouse, our kids, relationships. Uh, and so today, we're going to open the Bible and kick off our week of drilling down on what God says in His Word about relationships and how the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, affects those. We can't look at everything the Bible says about it. That would take years uh, because the, the sheer volume of truth in the Bible uh, concerning our relationships is massive, massive. Uh, but today we're going to uh, look at a piece of that. You'll get an opportunity to drill down a little bit further this week as you gather with your life group. Uh, the session of your life group is going to be how to, how to make good friends and how to be a good friend. Uh, you'll get more information as you read your daily devotionals from your transformed workbook this week. It'll all be on this same same topic. Uh, so in our selection today, I thought, well, where in the world do we start? And so I thought, well, why don't we start at the very beginning? And so if you want to find the place where God's Word begins to deal with the health of our relationships, you can... Start turning to the left, and you keep you keep turning, you keep turning, you keep turning, and you go all the way to the first three chapters of the Bible, Genesis, the book of beginnings. And so, I want you to take your Bibles if you have those. I hope you do. We'll always use them. Um, if you got a hard copy, open to the book of Genesis. If you've got your your uh, tablet or your uh, smartphone with the scriptures there, uh, bring up the book of Genesis. Go to chapter two, and we're going to spend. A little bit in chapter 2 and a whole bunch of time in, in chapter 3 this morning. And we're, gonna, we're going to uh, look at the, the very first issue that God reveals that affects our relationships. And I was surprised by this. Uh, when I decided to, to work on, on it this way. And the issue is fear. It's how our fears diffuse our relationships. How our fears fracture our relationships. And there's three big ones. Uh, we're going to uh, jump in. Let me pray for us, and um, we'll ask God to help us. 
So, Lord, once again, we ask that you refresh us physically, uh, that we may fully engage. Give us the ability to, um, uh, to be filled with your love and joy and peace, that our emotions may engage. Clear our minds, that we may focus mentally and unlock our spirits, that we may directly relate to you in, in eagerness. Open our eyes, that we may see wonderful things from your word. Open our minds, that we may understand the scriptures and help us with these things today, we pray. It's in Christ's name that we ask it. Amen. So we all need help, and here it is. Way back in the book of Genesis, uh, we look at the very first relationships, relationships between Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve and God. And we find uh, the story there that God created the universe, and, and God in that part of creation made Adam the very first man, and He put him in the Garden of Eden, a perfect paradise. Adam had everything he could possibly want except he was alone. Uh, in in uh, Genesis chapter 2, God says something quite remarkable. I've never gotten over it. While even before human sin tainted creation and train wrecked mankind, when everything was still perfect, the scriptures say God looked and said that something was not good. That's fascinating to me. He said, it's not good that man be alone. And so uh, he, Adam noticed that all the animals had companions, all the animals had partners, complementary partners, but he did not, he doesn't have one. And so I think God did this, this way intentionally. First of all, um, I, I think he wanted Adam to realize what he would need in his own life, that God created him to be a relational being, that he needed companionship. But second, I think it's possible that God made Adam and took a good look and thought, hmm, I think I can do better. And so he, he created woman. I can, maybe, I don't know, maybe that's, maybe that's what he thought. But I agree with him if that's what he thought. So God creates Eve and he brings her to Adam and things went great for a while um, between the man and the woman. There was no sin. And because there was no sin, there was no sadness, no sickness, no sorrow, no suffering, no deceit, no lying, no jealousy. Uh, they had a perfect relationship and lived in a perfect place. Now, some of you know the story. Satan comes to Eve and he lies to her and causes her to question God's Word and God's good intentions toward her. Now, that's the way he always does it. That's his fundamental start with any of us to cause us to question, did God, does God really say this? Is this what God really says, or do we just make this up? And how do I know I can trust God? Does God is God lying to me? How do I, how do I know God has my best interest at heart? Uh, those of you who are just entering the university this fall, you'll find as your faith is tested, that's the first place it's tested. The thought, questioning whether God's Word is legitimate and questioning whether there is a benevolent God who has your best interest at heart. Am I, is, am I pretty close there? Sure, that's where it comes. And that's where it always comes. This has been Satan's plan from the beginning, and we see it here. He, he, he tells Eve that God is lying to her, and that he urges her uh, to do what, uh, what God prohibited. And he told her that if she would just eat of the fruit of the tree that God prohibited, that she would become as wise as God, that she would become like God. 
kind of a God herself. And Eve took the bait. Now look at chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. Let me read it for you. Then the woman, <coughs> excuse me, then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called, called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And then he asked, he being God, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Then the man replied, The woman you gave to me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate. So the Lord asked the woman, What is this you've done? And the woman said, It was that serpent. He deceived me and I ate. And then the Lord said to the serpent, Because you've done this, you are cursed more than any livestock, more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children in anguish. Now here's, here's the big bomb on relationships. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And he said to Adam, Because you listened to your wife's voice and ate from the tree about which I commanded, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. You are, for you are dust, and you'll return to dust. This is God's Word. Now God says to them, because of your sin, there's going to be hostility between the two of you. There's going to be domination issues. There's going to be manipulation issues. There's going to be competition and all kinds of behaviors and attitudes that will make it very difficult for you to get along and very difficult for you all to be fulfilled. Now, we find in this story three fundamental fears uh, that fracture our relationships. And here they are. Here's the first one. Jot this down. Fear of exposure. Fear of exposure. And fear of exposure makes us distant from God and from other people. Now, there's much that we don't like about ourselves, right? There's much that we don't like about ourselves. And since we don't, ex don't accept those things about ourselves, we don't want others to see it because then they might reject us as well. So we distance ourselves. Our fear of being really known as we really are, fear of exposure, 
fractures our relationships, hinders our relationships, not only with God, but with people. This is what happened with Adam and God. So the Lord, look at verses 9 and 10. So the Lord God called out to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. And so I hid. Uh, so, so here, we need to learn something about God. He asked Adam two questions. Now remember, when you come to the Scriptures... You want to ask, what do I learn about God? What does God teach me about Himself? And what does He teach me about me? Well, here we see God asking Adam two questions. And any time in the Scriptures we hear or see God asking questions, it's not because He does not know the answer. He knows everything. He knows everything. He's always asking for the benefit of the reader or the listener. And so He's asking for Adam's benefit. He wants Adam to own up to to accept responsibility for his actions. But Adam did not want to be exposed. He was afraid of God's rejection, and so he distanced himself from God, or he, he tried to do so. You know, that's impossible to do. Sometimes people say, "I'm gonna, well, I'm running from God. Well, that's a waste of time. Because God's everywhere. And it's not, so how can God be everywhere at the same time? Well, it's, it's not so much a miracle of location as it is how big He is. Like, here's everything. Let's let, got it? Got it? This is Bible's everything. And I'm God. You see, He's big. God's big. He's really big. And so what are we going to do? Run right over here? So if you're running from God, quit. What's, what would uh, Bob Newhart say? Stop it! <laughs> it's, it's a waste of time to try to hide yourself from God. But fear will cause us to do that, not only with God, but with other people. Transformation in any relationship only happens when we own up to the fact that the relationship has problems and we are contributing to the problem until we're willing to admit that we own part of the problem, if not the majority of the problem, there's not, there, there will be no positive transformation in the relationship. And here's how it works. Here's the progression. It goes, it goes shame, cover up, and then uh, distance from God. Uh, take a look at uh, verse 7. In the New Living Translation, the Bible says this, At that moment their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. We feel ashamed. And when we feel shame, we try to cover up. Uh, verse 7 says, So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And um, today, we don't cover ourselves with fig leaves. We do it uh, in other ways. For example, like humor. Uh, we become the class clown or the, or the team goofball or the funny guy in the office. They're always cracking jokes and stuff, so we, we hide behind humor because we don't want people to see who we are and what we're really like, because if they know us, they'll reject us. Uh, sometimes we hide behind an image, uh, like the image of being well put together, by the clothes we wear and the home we live in and the, the words that we use. We, we, we posture ourselves uh, as something that we're not. Or today we have the ability to, uh, to hide behind an online image. Uh, we, we can create a persona on Facebook or Twitter or on a blog uh, that, that, that is not who we really are, and we hide behind that. I, I, um, 
uh, in the world I live in, in the world of preachers, it's an odd world. And uh, so, uh, but in our denomination, there's been some con- theological conflict over the years. And and um, when the internet came along and the ability to blog, and there been bloggers have just gotten a lot of notoriety. And there's been one guy in particular that's created a lot of uh, attention, and he's gained a lot of attention, and um, he's a little bit of a uh, of a uh, hot poker and keeping the pot stirred and that kind of thing. And, and he, he, I, I've watched the leaders of our de- particular denomination try to respond to this guy and settle all of his stuff, you know, and this persona of this big influential person. Well, uh, a couple of years ago, I was on my summer study break, my July study break you guys give me, and I was at a retreat center in northeast Alabama, and I'd, I'd gone down into town to eat supper at Cracker Barrel, and after I took my book I was working on with me. Becky, and afterwards, it was a pleasant night. There'd been an evening shower. I'm sitting in a rocking chair on the porch of Cracker Barrel reading this book, and I happened to have a T-shirt on that was uh, some gear from one of the seminaries I attended, had the name of the school on there. And I'm rocking, and I just noticed some some feet that go by, and they stop right in front of me. And there's this guy standing there, and he said, "Oh, see your shirt." He said, "You a pastor?" Yeah. And and I introduced myself, and it was this guy. And so I thought, "Oh, yeah, I'm gonna have a very interesting conversation." It was the most incoherent exchange with another human being I've ever had. He could hardly put two sentences together. He's the biggest goofball I ever met except my best friend in the fifth grade. And I thought, wait a minute. How is this possible? But he created this online persona. And sometimes we do that because we just don't want people to know who we really are. Well... When we do that, we distance ourselves. They hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So fear of exposure makes us distant. Here's a second fear. Fear of disapproval. Write that one down. Fear of disapproval makes us defensive. Now, here we have already laughed at this. Here's what Adam did with God in verses 11 and 12. Then he, God, asked, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And then the man replied, the woman, you got defended. God, you the problem. You created this old gal. You know, you, you, you did it. You did. God, you gave me this woman. And she, and Eve was no more willing to accept responsibility. In verse 13, God asked her what she'd done. And she said, it was the serpent. Now, here's how it works. The more that we fear disapproval, the more we point the blame at others. We, and boy, does that train wreck relationships. When, when, when everybody around you is always on the end of you laying blame on them for every little thing, you, it's, you know, your, your, your spouse is going to get tired of that, your friends are going to get tired of that, your kids certainly, your parents. Woo, we become inappropriately defensive. So fear of exposure makes us distant. Fear of disapproval makes us defensive. Here's a third fear. Fear of losing control. And this is the bad one. Fear of losing control makes us demanding in a very destructive way. As a result of sin, Adam and Eve lost control 
over their future. They got kicked out of paradise. It's a very sad thing. It's a very sad thing. You know, I have the smartest and the prettiest and the brightest uh, granddaughter in the world, you know. And uh, I'm, always, I'm, I'm really fascinated by God now in His power, how He arranged this miracle so that everybody's grandchildren are the prettiest and the brightest, you know, and the, all at the same time. But they are, aren't they? Yes, they are. Of course they are. Uh, my granddaughter likes first, she's got a little story Bible, and she likes her mom, or, uh, mom and dad and her grandparents and her aunts and uncles. When it, to, she likes to read through it. And it's got pictures, and when she gets to the story of Adam and Eve, she loves that story, but, and she always wants you to read it to her. I mean, she's young. She'll be three Christmas Day. So she's young. But there's the scene where it says they had to leave the garden. And she's just, oh, she's, it's disturbing to her. I thought, should be disturbing, shouldn't it? Should be disturbing. And they lost control of their future. And the more out of control we feel, the more controlling we become. And it shows up by manipulation and bullying. Uh, the more insecure we are, the greater the need to get our own way. In, in, look at verse 16. Then He, God, said to the woman, You will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. This is where the war between the sexes began, the very beginning. Outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ and His transformation and His indwell, the power of His indwelling Holy Spirit, we will be manipulative and, and domineering. Women, you will have a tendency to try to manipulate and control your husband. And husbands will have a temptation to be sinfully domineering over their wives. It's why we've seen down through history the sinful manipulation of women toward men and the terrible, terrible, terrible historic uh, domination and abuse of women at the hands of men across around the world. We still see it today. Where did that come from? Right here. It's the result of people being dead in their trespasses and sins. It train wrecks relationships. It's a, it's, a, it's a terrible, terrible thing. So what do we do about it? Well, here's what we do about it. Here's the good news. There are three daily commitments to make. Commitments of faith. And here we go. Got just a few minutes left. I want to give them to you. So listen to this. What we do is we learn to live in God's love. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, the Bible says, There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears has not reached perfection in love. Love is the opposite of fear. It, we learn to live in and with uh, the love of God permeating our lives, it's the only solution to the fears that diffuse and fracture our relationships. And so here are the three commitments we make. Here's the first one. First decision, daily choice. Surrender my heart to God. Write that down. Surrender my heart to God. Now that sounds like a wonderful spiritual phrase, but you might be saying, yes, but what does that mean? What does that look like? How do we actually do that. Well, if you go to the story of Job, I mentioned him last week, uh, 
uh, argue, uh, some scholars believe it's the first uh, book of the Bible ever written, the book of Job. And you go to chapter 11, you're in a section where one of his friends is speaking to him. And now the friends didn't get it all right. They, they didn't have it all right. But not everything they said was wrong. And in, in Job chapter 11, beginning in verse 13, we find a darn good description of what it looks like for you and me to surrender our heart to God on a daily basis. Let me read it for you. As, here it goes, the Word of God. As for you, if you redirect your heart and lift up your hands to Him in prayer, if there's iniquity in your hand, remove it and don't allow injustice to dwell in your tents. Then you will hold your head high, not be ashamed, free from fault. You will be firmly established, confident, and unafraid. For you will forget your suffering, recalling it only as waters that have flowed by, and on and on. Now, here are the three steps. Surrender your heart to God. Redirect your heart to God. Every day, consciously, you have a choice. Am I going to... Am I going to re-grab control of my heart and life from Jesus, or am I going to yield it to Him intentionally? You redirect your heart to God. Second, you lift your hands to Him in prayer. You turn to Him in prayer. And what do you pray? You repent. Lord, if there, if there are iniquities in my hand, may they be removed. We repent of our sins. Last week I gave you a good prayer to pray. And it's a prayer I'm praying every day. And you, sh you should make it one of your prayers at the beginning of the day and pray it throughout the day. Here it is. Lord, show me my sins and help me repent of them. Show me my sins and help me repent of them. Show me my sins and help me repent of them. It, it is the way we, we surrender Pray and repent. Then there's great outcome. Three, you won't be ashamed. You'll be free from fault. And you will be confident and fearless. Set free from the three big fears that train wreck your friendships and your marriage and your family and your work relationships. Uh, it, is, it is the first big step. Surrender your heart to God. Uh, and here's the second one. Remember God's love in Christ. Remember God's love in Christ. This is, here I go once again. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ once again. Remember it. Rehearse it. God so loved... Just remember that God loved you so much that He gave His one and only Son that if you believe in Him, you will not perish but have everlasting life. That God loved you so much that while you were still in open revolt and rebellion against the rule of God over your life, that He died for you while you were still in your sins. He died for you anyway. And the Bible says that when we turn from our sinful self-righteousness, you know, that's the only sin that sends us to hell and keeps us separated from God, is self-righteousness. I'm righteous enough. I don't need God. I don't need a Savior. Self we turn from our sinful self-righteousness and we put our trust in Jesus and what He accomplished when He died on the cross and rose from the dead, paying the full penalty for our sin. When we give ourselves to Him, one of the things, just one of the things that He does is He makes us totally reconciled and accepted by God the Father. And not, there's nothing we can do to ever make God reject us again. 
He will never reject us. He will never forsake us. We are forgiven. We are adopted. We are fully accepted. There's nothing we can do to make God reject us any longer. You remember God's love to you in Christ Jesus. And you think about it and you dwell on it and you try to get your head around how big that is and how high that is and how long that is and how wide that is. And you constantly meditate on the amazing love of God toward you in Christ Jesus. You who are still in a sinful state and how He still loves you and values you and you will find that the the love of God is so amazing in Christ Jesus that it will motivate and enable you to love the other people in your life. It is God's transforming love in Christ called His grace, His compassion. That's why they call grace amazing. It alone will transform our hearts and turn us into the people God wants us to be, to, to, to enable us to be and do what God wants us to be and to do. Titus chapter 3, verse 7 says it this way, Jesus treated us much better than we deserve. That's where Dave Ramsey gets his statement that we talk about. How you doing, Dave? What does he say? Better than I deserve. That's right. That's right. That's accurate. That's accurate. Better than Jesus treated us much better than we deserve. He he made us acceptable to God and gave us the hope of eternal life. And if that's true, then Jesus Jesus acceptance and His presence in our life is all we need for fullness of joy and and um, vastness of love in our lives. Changes us. We surrender to God daily. We choose to. We choose to remember God's love toward us in Christ daily. And then third, we are able to offer that same love to other people. We choose to offer the same love to other people. Now, it's been proven that people who have been loved greatly tend to love others greatly. And the more you realize how much God loves you, the more you will find He will be increasing your capacity to love even unlovely people. Listen to Romans chapter 15 verse 7. Here's how we go about it. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. And so here's our prayer. In addition to, Lord, show me my sins and help me repent of them. Pray, Lord, help me... Love other people like you love me. Can you remember that one? That's darn good praying. Darn good praying because what we're admitting, apart from you, I can't do it, God. Lord, will you help me love other people like you love me? Well, how did he, how did he love you? Well, how did, he accepted you just as you were. He loved you just as you were before you ever changed. He forgave you when you didn't deserve it. There's another place that says, we're to forgive one another just as God in Christ has forgiven us. So they, they don't deserve forgiveness. Well, of course they don't deserve forgiveness. If they did, it wouldn't be forgiveness, would it? It'd be wages. You'd owe them. No, no, no. You just forgive them. They don't, you forgive people who are... Don't deserve it. That's how Christ forgave you. That's how Christ forgave me. 
You see, we, there's no room for pride in being a follower of Jesus. I laugh, I laugh when outsiders who don't understand Jesus accuse us of thinking we're better than other people. So, <laughs> we're, the only, we're in the only club that you can get into by admitting that you're worse than everybody else. We're not better than other people. We're the only one. You can't get in this club unless you admit that you're a sinner deserved to burn in hell forever. You can't get in this club unless you stop saying, I don't see how a loving God would send someone to hell. You have to say, I can't understand how he could wait so long. Why didn't he send me? It's just funny to me that people say, well, you Christians, you think you're better than everybody else. <laughs> It's just laughable. I mean, it's like, no. That's why you can love everybody else. You understand how easy it, how, how you understand sin. You under, that's why this is the place where people who have, that's why, listen, if you, you've messed up and you think, oh gosh, I'm, you know, you're, you're one of the people that said proverbial, okay, I can't come in, the roof will fall down. No, it won't. No, it won't. You've come to the right place. This is where you find people who understand. We've been there, done that. Got the scars. Had the addictions. Lost the relationships. Lost our health. Been far from God. And He accepted us and forgave us. And we got Jesus and it's, it doesn't matter anymore. And one day He's going to come back and we're going to all be swept into heaven and we'll be going in the door and saying, now what was, what do we call that? Cancer? I can't remember. Let's go. I mean, it's just, you, this is the place to come. People understand. Now, I, I still want to name, rename church Sinners Unanimous. You know, because we're not anonymous, we all come and look at us. We're all coming here and we said publicly, I'm a sinner in need of salvation. So it's not anonymous. We're Sinners Unanimous, all saved by a holy, loving Savior. And because of that love, we're able to extend it to other people. We're able to extend it to our spouse and our kids and our parents and our grumpy neighbor. Matter of fact, we want to be praying for him. You want to pray for him right now? Some of you can't, guys can't think of him. You know what that means? You're thinking you don't have, you're him. That's, that's, the way, that's the way that works. Everybody in the neighborhood saying, oh, boy, glad he went to Dogwood today. Maybe I'll get some help. Yeah, you, you know, we just, we pray, God, help me now love other people like, like you love me because I'm willing, God. But you got to make me that way because we don't have the ability to do it. Let's pray. Let's pray. So why don't you pray? Now begin to say, Lord, I surrender my heart to you. Help me learn how to do it better. Lord, help me to remember your love for me in Christ Jesus. And Lord, help me to love others the way you love me today. Help me to do it. And name them. Lord, help me to love my husband this way. Help me to love my wife this way. Help me to love my kids. Help me to love my neighbors, my parents. Help me to love 
my teammates, my classmates, my boss, the people at work. Just help me. Help me, Lord, by your grace. For some of you newcomers, something's stirring in your heart and you don't know what it is. Well, I want to tell you what it is. It's God's Holy Spirit knocking at the door of your heart, seeking to draw you to this Savior who loves you infinitely and who will accept you as you are and forgive you of your sin. See, in in Jesus, God made a way for us. I've already explained it. And some of you are now ready to say to God, I'm ready to turn from my sin and give up control of my life in eternity and place my active trust in Jesus to save me, to forgive me, to lead me, to give me His gift of new and eternal life. And if if you do that, you're going to be transformed by the amazing grace of Christ, given His Holy Spirit, given His gift of eternal life, given His gift of living under His care and supervision in this life. And if that's you, And you'd like to say, I want to do that, Pastor. I'd like to do that right now. I'd like for the very first time to give my life to God through Jesus, just as you have described. Would you raise your hand? Because I want to pray for you. I'm not going to make you do anything else weird. I just want to know if you're here. I want to do that, Pastor. I'm ready to do that. Would you slip up your hand? In the balcony, anybody? Yep, got you. Got you right there, friend. Who else? Anybody else? Great people in both services today. Every week, people are trusting in Jesus. Okay, who else? Anybody else down here? Okay. Then let's pray. Okay, I want to lead you through a time of prayer. and There's nothing special about these words. It's not a magical incantation. God's more concerned with the attitude of your heart than He is the words of your mouth. But if this expresses your intention, then make it your prayer. Repeat after me from your heart to Christ. Dear Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins in my place. Forgive me. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and my God. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Thank you for giving me eternal life. Now take control of my life and turn me into the kind of person you want me to be. Amen. Hey guys, would you celebrate with these folks? Would you? Yes. Way to go. Way to go. God bless you. God bless you. Welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. Welcome to God's family.
Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.